the concept of a banquet is, is quite, a, uh, quite a thing. I have been invited to very few things in my life that I would call banquets. I've been to a fair few weddings because as a minister over 30 years, you do go to quite a few people's weddings, and they're banquet-like. Um, so I've been to quite a few of those. Um, and Jesus sets this um, teaching because he's reacting to uh, the context that he's in with this uh, meal on a Sabbath on a Sabbath day at a prominent Pharisee's house. There's somebody there because, as I've told you before, uh, if you lived in a rich house, you ate in the courtyard, and there were arches which gave access through the courtyard to local people, and it was a custom and tradition that the the ordinary poor people could just go through, uh, uh, shuffle up the walls, and see the good and the great having their food, which is why uh, this man who would not have been a welcome guest at a Pharisee's house uh, with a shriveled hand and so on, uh, that is why he was there because uh, he was one of the local people who had perhaps come to see Jesus, not an invited guest, but nonetheless a member of the community. And so Jesus begins all of this teaching. And it's teaching about status and importance. It's about places of honor and places of humiliation, the high and the low. It's about welcome and including the people who you wouldn't normally have. Because there would have been a marked contrast in fa- Simon the Pharisee, sorry, it, was, it wasn't Simon the Pharisee, there would have been a marked contrast in this Pharisee's house that here are the rich invited guests reclining on one arm, left arm, uh, lying down on mats, a low table in the middle of the floor, and people on three sides. The fourth side was open to the countryside, so you could not only enjoy good food, but take in the view through this well appointed house as well. And then, Uh, shuffling up the walls were the poor. And inevitably in a society without health care, where life expectancy was short uh, and people lived with conditions rather than got them treated or operated on, there were lots of people who would have been uh, ill, diseased, deformed in some way or another. And so there's this massive contrast between those who are invited in the middle of the the room and those who who were just the kind of curious observers, you know, looking on with longing at a meal they would never hope or expect to be invited to. And that's the same divide that operates in society and has done throughout all human history and in every part of the world, the divide between the rich and the poor. And of course, the challenge of the gospel and the challenge of the invitation of the kingdom is that God does not prefer status in gathering people to belong to his family or his kingdom. God has no favorites in terms of who are the high-ranking and the low-ranking. All God invites may come, and all who hear and receive in faith the invitation to believe in God as their Father, to believe and know Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came to buy with His death and resurrection their pardon and freedom from judgment and who gives His Holy Spirit to anyone who will believe. And that is radically countercultural. It is radically countercultural the world over. 
where status and wealth and visible success are the things that people strive for and throw their lives into. And Jesus takes apart the system, the default system, that says that those, and indeed it was crept into the theology, even of the Jewish people, that if you were rich, you were really blessed. God had favored you somehow. It's why when the rich young ruler went away sad after Jesus told him to sell his possessions and give to the poor, and Jesus said, "Eh, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle, Peter and the other said, well, who then can be saved? The rich aren't going to get in. Who's getting in? Because their assumption was if they're not getting in, no one's getting in because they're sure to get in. They're favored and blessed. They're rich. But they're applying this dodgy theology. They're applying a, a social lens of high and low to a kingdom that doesn't operate like that. And we're called by faith in God and in relationship with Jesus Christ, to step out of the kingdom and the values of this world, the kingdoms and values of this world, and to step into a kingdom which is topsy-turvy and whose values are not the same. And so Jesus then tells this parable, and it's a fairly simple and straightforward parable. There are three lots of people in it. Well, there's more than three lots of people. Well, there are three groups apart from the master who's throwing the banquet. And so we have the invited guests who are the ones who first receive the invitation. And then we have the uh, people of the, 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 the town go into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So they are a second group, the people of the town. And then there's a third group where the master says, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. So there's the country folk. So there's the invited guests, the townsfolk, and the country folk. And they all stand for a different group of people in in this parable. And so the invited servants represent the people of Israel, the Jewish people. The the ones, the the Jesus' family, his community, his people, his ethnic group, the one that he had been sent uh, to first. And so Jesus likens them, because remember, he's in the company of Pharisees. And these Pharisees think they're they're the insiders. They're the ones that know God. They They know God so well, in fact, that they're the ones who are authorized to tell everybody else exactly what God is like. And yet the Pharisees are content to keep this us and them distance sometimes, it seems. And so the Pharisees are, if you like, pull uh, the representatives of the ones who were invited. Because Jesus came extending an invitation to believe in him, to believe that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, to believe that he had come amongst them. And yet, they would not see it. They could not recognize it. The Pharisees were big on the law. They were big on stuff you have to do to get it right with God, to keep your nose clean, to impress God, and do all the right things. The Pharisees were experts in the law. What to do and what not to do. Do, 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 do. 
And indeed, all the excuses that come up with, they're all doing excuses. They're all busy, busy, busy excuses. Got to rush, can't stop, got to go, things to do. They're all doing excuses. What is the banquet? They weren't being invited to wait on table. They weren't being invited to come and pop up the trestle tables and put out the cutlery. They weren't being invited to come and make the thing work. They were being invited to come as guests and receive. They were being invited to come and just to sit at the table and enjoy abundant, fine food in the company of other people just like them, to have other servants wait on them. And so the first group of people were the ones who were invited to stop earning, trying, striving, doing. The ones who were so full of their own importance and their own activity that they couldn't imagine how they could stop for just one evening to enjoy a banquet. And so they made their excuses, and their excuses loosely fall into the, the, the kind of the unholy trinity that Richard Foster flagged up in his book, Money, Sex, and Power. It's an old book now, but the principle that he established in, in that book holds fast here. Three excuses, and by and large, they fall into the three categories of money, sex, and power. The field, if you like, represents money. This guy was increasing his portfolio. This land would be put to use, would yield him a bigger return, would make more money for him. So the field, if you like, represents money. Of course, the excuses are ludicrous. I'm not going to go to a banquet so that I can go and look at a field. Let's just picture that for a moment, shall we? Everybody else is having a lavish banquet, and here's a guy leaning on a wall or a fence or a gate looking at a field. I think looking at a field has limited value. I could not expect that it would hold my attention for very long. But he's not just looking at the field, is he? He's planning how and when and with what he's going to plant it, how he's going to uh, dig it up how he's going to uh, hire people to work it for him, how big the field is, therefore what kind of investment will he need to make in terms of seed and what kind of yield might he hope to get if it's a really good harvest and if it's a bad harvest and if it's a moderate harvest and where he would take it and where he's going to be able to sell it and so on. And so a field represents, if you like, that preoccupation with possessions, the preoccupation with the stuff, be it money or possessions or things that we throw our time and effort and energies in because we have to make an income or a livelihood. We have to make a way for ourselves. The second one said, I've just got five, uh, yoke of, five pair of oxen and I'm away to try them out. Please excuse me. And so the oxen, if you like, represent power not horsepower, but ox power. There was no urgency to try out the oxen. They would keep for another day. And actually what this man then was doing was setting again the value of his animals, the potential of these beasts, the power that he now had because he could do more with these oxen than he'd been able to do before. 
But he set five pair of oxen, so ten oxen, above the invitation of the master. It was an insult. And yet we know, and we see it sadly every day, particularly at the moment, on both sides of the pond, the pursuit of power and the ways in which pursuing power and going after it obsess and grip the hearts and hands of men and women. Or the third one, who said, I've just got married and I can't come. Did the invitation to the banquet not include his wife? Could she not have come too? I am fairly sure that if after they'd invited everybody else and there was still room, that it wasn't, you know, I'm sure there was a plus one implied in there somewhere. I've just got married, so I can't come because now other relationships had a prior claim and influence on his life in a way that got between him and the invitation of the master. It, you're smart people. You don't need me to spell out for you the parallels, the ways in which the pursuit of money and stuff and wealth can take us away from devotion to God. The pursuit of power and ambition and getting ahead of other people can take us away from bowing the knee or honoring the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the most powerful of all. Or how relationships and the pool and influence either of, of intimate relationships, marriage relationships, or family relationships, or peer group in pressures and other influences can take priority if we let them over our relationship with God. Money, sex, and power. Jesus, in the parable of the seed, talks about the seed that fell among weeds and thorns and compared it to the Word being uh, growing up but then being choked by other things. And it might equally be us. After all, we are, are those who as Christians are invited through our relationship with God in Jesus to prioritize God's kingdom over other things. What does it look like for you to prioritize the kingdom of God in your life? When are those moments when you've said in your heart, ah, they won't miss me if I don't go? Or this is far more important. I should go, but I really can't be bothered. Oh, it's raining again. I'm, I'm in now. I'm just going to stay. I won't be there this week because I'm running in the great Scottish marathon or the, or the, or the, or the. And it's not just about being in church. It's about your priorities. It's about your priorities. I'm always really impressed when we have people, as we regularly do, coming here who are on holiday from Australia or Florida or I don't know, anywhere. And they come here, and the reason they're here is because they've decided that even though they're not in their own place, even though they're far from home and don't really know where they should go, they've done something, gone online, done the research, walked around or whatever, because they've set it as a priority, I want to worship God, and I just need to find a place where I can do that. Be really easy to say, oh, I don't know anywhere. It's not just about being in church, it's about honoring the master, honoring the invitation. Um, 
a little while ago, and I have got Fiona's permission to share this. Fiona put a Facebook post up, and I'm just going to read it to you. Um, had a picture of Fiona nursing a headache and looking somewhat strained and said, reasons why I don't want to go to church today. One, I'm tired, physically very tired. I've worked the last couple of nights and done a lot of stuff during the day, so feeling knackered, plus I have a headache. Two, it's been a long week. There have been a couple of conflict situations that have arisen and they've been hard to deal with and process. Three, I'm feeling increasingly self-conscious about how much weight I've put on lately and how few clothes fit me. Four, I have a couple of speaking engagements coming up soon and surely I could use the time to prepare properly and fight the rising imposter syndrome that comes with them. Five, I just don't feel very spiritual or holy today. And then underneath she wrote reasons why I am going to church. One, because when I least feel like it is probably when I most need to go. Two, a Christian under stress avoiding other Christians is rarely a helpful thing. There's a reason the Bible reminds us not to give up meeting together. Three, there's food at church. Four, it's the Sunday after Easter and it's good to remind myself of the hope and joy of resurrection and redemption. Five, Christians in Sri Lanka are worshipping at home today. They physically can't go to their churches. Feels like the least the rest of us can do is meet together and pray for them. Six, realistically, I wouldn't do any prep for my speaking engagements. I'd lie on the sofa and channel surf. Seven, it isn't about me feeling holy or spiritual enough. God is there regardless and welcomes honesty and communication. It's enough to just be there and worship. Eight, Worship always helps restore focus. Always. Nine, prayer always helps restore focus. Ten, thanksgiving always helps restore focus. And look at that. My headache is lifted. Okay, Lord, let's do this. Thanks, Fiona. <laughs> we can all make excuses. And it's not about just coming to church. But it's about prioritizing. And these Pharisees, so busy, so self-important, so full of what they had to do, Jesus reflected as people who were so busy that they would not accept an invitation. We would rather insult the invitation to keep doing and not put themselves in the place where they could receive. The only thing that matters is that we receive. That we receive the good news of what Jesus has done for us, that we receive the invitation to salvation and to celebration of that reality as his people together. And so the parable unfolds and the other two categories of people are fairly straightforward. First, the master sent the servants to go out to the streets and alleys of the town. And these were the tax collectors and the sinners. These were the sick and the lame and the poor and the blind and all the ones that are listed, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And here Jesus is making the point, bear in mind the man with the shriveled, with the abnormal swelling, that this guy is invited. Because you Pharisees sitting here can't even see that the Son of God is amongst you to bless you and heal you and give you life and you're just nitpicking over the Sabbath. But here's somebody who's not even invited to this meal. Oh, he's welcome at the kingdom because he's hungry to receive whatever gifts of grace God is willing to give him. 
Because it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. What does matter is if you've got eyes to see and ears to hear and know that God wants you and invites you to his banquet. And all he asks you to do is to believe and respond to the invitation, to respond to the invitation to come to him, to respond to the invitation to put your faith in Jesus Christ and give your life to him. And of course, there was still room after they'd done that. And so the master sent the servants out to the roads and the country lanes. Well, who's the roads and the country lanes? That's us, folks, the Gentiles and the rest of the world. It was the Jewish people. And then the ordinary people, the Jewish people who were outsiders to the inner group. And then there were the people out in the countries round about, you and me in the rest of the world. And Jesus invites you and me and all of us because his intention is that his house will be full. And so when we celebrate Cafe Church, we do it as a statement that says, we're going to stop everything else that the city's continuing to do, and we're just going to be. We're going to be in the presence of God in worship. We're going to be in relationship with him in prayer and faith. We're going to be under the sound and the preaching of His Word. We're going to be in fellowship and relationship with one another. We're going to receive the food that's prepared and offered for us. And yeah, we're going to play our part in doing the washing up, hint, hint. But we are going to be the people of God drawn from the streets and the alleys and the country lanes and the town, whether you're from near or from far, whether you've lived in Glasgow all your days or you're here studying for a few years and you live, you're from some other place whether you're high-born or low-born, educated or uneducated, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. The only qualification for being in the key people in kingdom of God is that you believe and know that God the Father made you in His image, sent Jesus to polish up and redeem that image and make it able to be restored, dying on the cross in pain so that whatever stands against you and me might be forgiven as we turn in confession and repentance and ask for that cleansing. And God gives His Holy Spirit. Without discrimination, the only qualification is being the willingness in our hearts and our lives in response to an invitation from a generous and loving master to accept it and to say, I believe. Let's pray together.